This is the Intuitive Ed, episode 172, with today's guest, scientist Garrett Yunt from the Institute of Noetic Sciences. How does intuition present itself to you? Oh, I would say d- deep internal knowing. You know, a knowing that you feel you understand or know without kind of logical backup. Welcome to the Intuitive Edge. I'm Victoria Lynn Weston, your host. I'm an intuitive business consultant, entrepreneur, and the founder of Studio Carlton. We're producers and developers of custom Amazon Alexa skills. I embrace big, bold ideas, and I love doing the unpredictable when it comes to helping business owners expand their brand, raise their visibility, and attract new business. The future is here, and it's all about voice. Check out StudioCarlton.com. Did you know that post-traumatic stress disorder is more common than you think? Well, according to the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, about 6% of the population will experience PTSD at some point in their lifetime, and about 15 million adults in the United States have PTSD during a given year. The Institute of Noetic Sciences and scientist Garrett Yunt conducted a pilot study with the hopes to help those suffering with PTSD through lucid dreaming. Lucid dream induction techniques were taught during a six-day workshop consisting of 22 hours of live lucid dreaming via video conferencing. Garrett, it's a pleasure to have you here on the Intuitive Edge. I look forward to learning all about PTSD and lucid dreaming. So, yeah, I've done a lot of lucid dreaming and, you know, levitation and all that through myself, so I'm really anxious to learn all about using lucid dreaming to help heal people. So that's pretty incredible. First, tell me a little bit about your background. Well, I am a molecular neurobiologist and have been interested in consciousness-related stuff since I was a kid. So I'm very lucky to be part of this team at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, where the other scientists are also interested in, in consciousness. Now, you did a tremendous amount of study with the hopes to find those suffering with PTSD through lucid dreaming. And so let's explain to everybody exactly what is lucid dreaming. Yes, so lucid dreaming is a special kind of dreaming. It differs from ordinary dreaming in that the dreamer's self-reflective awareness is activated within this seemingly unconscious state of mind. So the dreamer becomes aware that they're dreaming and oftentimes can intentionally influence what's going on in the dream. So it's, um, this happens in people, like I think it's about one in four people have this naturally, um, but it also can be taught. So you can, you can induce lucid dreaming if you, if you practice at it. I know I was reading that and I was really intrigued and it said somebody, like I said, I love lucid dreaming. So how do I trigger it on, on call? <laughs> well, I'm the scientist on this team. So we had a um, wonderful lucid dreaming instructor, Charlie Morley. Um, so I would go to one of his workshops if I wanted to, to really learn how to do it. But I can tell you what I learned from him and I can tell you some of my personal experience. Um, oh, I can't wait. For me. Yeah. yeah, for me, I learned from reading the Carlos Castaneda books when I was in college. I don't know if you are familiar with those. Um, an anthropologist that um, studied some of the indigenous traditions in, in Mexico. Um, but the technique in, that, in the, one of his books, the book was Journey to Ixlan. Technique was to, as you're falling asleep, tell yourself you're going to look at your hand 
in your dream tonight. Just say that over and over as you're falling asleep. And then when you're in your dream and it just things are going on and you see your hand, if it works, that you remember, oh, I'm I'm asleep. I told myself I was going to look at my hand, so my body's asleep in bed and I'm in a dream. So it kind of brings your self-awareness into the dreamscape. So that worked for me. But I think that what Charlie, the expert, would say is the first step, and this is what he said to the folks in our in our workshop, in our study, the first step is to become better at remembering your dreams, just that simple step. The more you remember your dreams, the closer you are to being able to do this because it's basically building a bridge between this, those two states of mind, the dreaming mind and the, and the awake mind. So that was like the first thing that he had them do is, is in the morning, have a little dream log and um, just make it a habit, get yourself in the habit of it. And that, and that means that even if you wake up and you don't remember a dream, you still write down I don't remember my dream this morning. So that, so you're still going through that habit of, of making that bridge between the two states of mind. And then another fun little mechanism, a little um, technique is what Charlie Morley calls reality checks. And so that means just throughout the day, you stop and you check your reality. Like, am I dreaming now? You do something like look at your hands and count your fingers, look away, count them again, or like to pull on his finger and if it pulls out and then he's in a dream, if it doesn't, he's not in a dream. So fun stuff like that. Tell me about like a, a person that you worked with with PTSD, whether they were a veteran or just have they had some other kind of trauma in their life. And walk us through the, the steps. They came to you with, with the situation and sort of highlight that if you can without you know, revealing a lot of privacy, yeah. of course. But And then take them sure. through the steps and how many times of lucid dreaming were you able to accomplish? And then you know, how long did it take them mm -hmm. to kind of recover from that? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I'll tell you a, kind of a, a day in the life of, of, okay. one, of our, one of our dreamers. Um, so firstly, I'd say that when we set up the study and we're trying to design it, you know, how many people and how we're going to recruit them and, you know, what kind of results do we think are possible? Um, you know, it's lucid dreaming can be very elusive. And so even with training, it's hard to get on demand, as you mentioned. So the idea of bringing in people that don't necessarily have any experience with lucid dreaming. They just came to us because they had PTSD. They were suffering right. from symptoms PTSD. And we, but to study it, to get, have our outcome measures, we really needed them to be, to be able to achieve lucidity within this one week period. So it was a one week workshop that we wanted to study. And uh, it was based on a workshop that had already been going on and was, was um, delivered um, to veterans primarily. So our study was open to veterans and non-veterans. So they basically saw a flyer or got news from their, the Veterans Association, or we actually did radio ads that said, hey, if, you, if you're suffering PTSD and you, you're interested in being part of a study involving dreaming, um, then, you know, contact us. So we had 144 people that responded. And of course, there were exclusion and inclusion criterions, you know, and so it ended up with 49 people that that were able to what you know spend a whole week doing this basically. So it's online, and so everybody got online and Zoom, and I first talked to them about what the study is going to 
be about and what we're going to do, how, what kind of questionnaires we're going to answer. We're going to answer questionnaires before and after. We're also going to answer questionnaires in the mornings. There was a subgroup of the of the dreamers. How many people came? How many people attended just out of curiosity? Like the... 49. That's a lot. Total. See, that's really a lot of people eager to yeah. find some help. And you provided yeah. them a key to open the door to get some help. So that's really, that's tremendous. Okay, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was just, I wanted a visual for the audience. Yeah, yeah. I was, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it's quite a group. And it was a wonderful group. So in addition to our luminary lucid dreaming teacher, Charlie Morley, we had a psychotherapist also as part of all of the process because, you know, the, the goal was to, in their lucid dream was to heal, was to transform their trauma. And so, you know, it can be anticipated that some of that would be challenging. So part of the team was a psychotherapist there all, all along. And so after they got the, learned the, you know, the ropes and how we're going to go through the kind of the scientific part of it, then the teacher comes on and, and the psychotherapist as well. And I stayed as well. And it was like, it was five days of intensive live teaching by Charlie Morley. Um, total number of hours of on-screen interactive time over the week was 22 hours. So it was 22 hours of live training, basically. Um, interspersed, they had homework, of course. Yeah. So in between the sessions, they had homework. And especially, they had nighttime homework. Mm. So they were instructed to set an alarm during the night, wake up four times during the night to write down their dreams, if they remembered any, and then fall asleep listening to an audio of Charlie giving them a, an induction technique. So it's kind of like hypnotizing them uh -huh. into having the dream. So they really had an advantage over us normal folks that are just t trying, telling ourselves to look at our hand before going to sleep. So they had a really, it was a very special, special, special workshop. So they do that during the night. And of course, you know, there's the questionnaires. And then, you know, just a little bit more flavor of what it's like. The next morning, there were dream dream sharing. You know, people would talk about their dreams. And all of these folks were kind of in the same boat. They all want relief from PTSD symptoms. So a real cohesion emerged in the group. It was, um, you know, it was very emotional. And it's, it's clear that there's more than the loose that they got a lot of benefit just from having it was basically group therapy group dream therapy sure i don't know if that's a thing that's what it felt like to me because everybody hearing about everybody else's dreams and what their experiences were and then hearing charlie talk about it it was it was a beautiful process i was quite quite moved by it all um and you know in the end there was tremendous uh benefit in terms of the PTSD symptoms. Everybody coming in was above a threshold that's considered clinically, you know, the threshold, the clinical threshold for, for PTSD. And so, and that dropped way below, you know, way below. We measured right after the workshop. And then also a month later, we came back to them and said, Hey, how do you, are you still feeling better? And uh, it was still low. So it persisted for a month that the statistics are very strong on that um to say it in regular language it's basically the uh, the the amount of benefit that we saw both right after and it lasted for a whole month 
if that had been just totally due to chance, nothing to do with any of the processes that in, in the, that they're, the lucid dreaming or the group support, you'd have to do the experiment, I think it's a hundred thousand times to get it to happen once by chance. So it's like, was was really quite so I was able to do that. Result. Let me ask you if there's two things I want to know about. A, the, the people that showed up with PTSD, and I imagine a lot of them were on some kind of prescribed medication at some point. Now, with that said, yeah. if you're on medication, individuals that are, um, and I'm sure there's somebody that can regulate that, this, this is not going to stop you from dreaming. Because I remember my dad, when he had had a, uh, some heart surgery and that, and he was on medication. One of the things he talked about, it was not being able to dream anymore. So with the people yeah. with PTSD and medication and that, there probably somebody in that, in that class that just wanted to dream again. Did the study mm -hmm. help them at all just be able to dream and then through that, work through that frustration and finally have that, oh, I can dream and then I can, I can feel better? Because I think dreaming alone is beneficial lucid dreaming. I think, I think you're so right. And actually some of the data supports what you just said. So I'll get to that, but let me back up and say that. So all of these folks, as you, as you anticipated, were on some, everybody was on some kind of medication for, for various things. And so we allowed that all in. There was only one sleep medication that was an exclusion uh, because of the way it, it, it affected the sleep. But uh, so any, you know, they didn't change any of their medication. Um, and to your point about dream again, wanting to dream again. So I would say that from my perspective, it's a matter of, of remembering the dream. So as I mentioned, Charlie's first lesson, like the, the first um, exercises going through were to improve dream recall. So he believes that everybody's dreaming every night. It's just that some people don't remember them. Mm -hmm. This this bridge across the two states of consciousness is is a too too thin. So yes, everybody. Is, and, and I didn't measure this precisely, but all, from all the talking and discussion, it seemed that everybody increased their dream recall. And I do believe that just increasing dream recall can have benefits. And um, this, I believe, because I think that uh, dreams are a window into our subconscious mind, and our subconscious minds have a very profound influence on our health. Exactly. Let me ask you this. Did you take a test or have these people take a test to sort of score or get an assessment of their intuitive level? Like how intuitive mm. are these people? Because again, I think intuition is a, a superior key to that leads us into, you know, that soul, subconscious, the, the dream state. Because yeah. I'd be curious yeah. to know how intuitive everybody was. Yeah, we did not ask that. We did not measure that. Um, but that's, I, I, I see what you're saying and I agree. We did measure because you could, often, you, because you could measure like after they were able to dream better, you could say, oh, this fellow over here, this woman, they already came in being highly, highly intuitive. We expect them to excel more. This person over here, we had to give them, you know, coach them through some kind of intuitiveness to be able to trust that intuition and therefore be open to lucid dreaming. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think that they may have gotten some of that again, just from the group discussions about people's dreams and their reactions to them, and then talking about what they kind of, maybe what they re represented. And, and again, the focus of this workshop was 
how they might influence that. So interacting with um, their intuition and feeling more comfortable with, with their intuition, um, you know, really could. All right. It sounds good. So these, the people that went through, you know, the, the PTSD and they went through a series of dreams and they all, you know, obviously benefited. They liked it. It's like you say, it's a group therapy. Did anybody, were they able to, I guess, walk away and feel more healing? Were they able to give up some of the medications? Do they feel more confident? I mean, where did they go from after this test? Yeah, so I mentioned about the PTSD symptom score dropping to below clinical, the clinical threshold, which is, which is quite a big deal. So in addition to that, a, a really important and very, again, statistically significant effect was their distress from nightmares decreased dramatically. So I think that's... That's um, good. Yeah, it's a big deal. And it's pretty, you know, pretty well known that nightmares are one of the most problematic aspects, one of the most problematic symptoms of PTSD. And so the measure we used for that was not just about frequency of nightmares. It was also about the amount of distress caused by the nightmares. So this was a measure that included both of those elements. And that also improved dramatically and stayed dramatically um, improved at the one month follow up. So nightmare distress dropping was a big, big deal, made a huge difference for the, the dreamers. The testimonials, the emails I've gotten about how this has just you know, changed their life. And after 20 years of all kinds of therapies, nothing has, has helped. And on this one week, it helped so much. And then in addition to the nightmares, we did some measures of well-being. So overall well-being was improved again uh, dramatically. And then we did a measure of um, Negative affect, it's called. You can think of it as negative emotions. And so that decreased. So they came out of it with less negative emotions and, and a greater sense of overall well-being, less distress from nightmares, and, um, and of course, the, the other generalized symptoms of PTSD. So it's, it's, um, the people were real, real happy. With, with I can relate to that, having those, you know, uh, nightmares like that. I mean, it's horrific. I went through a series, you know, years ago when I was living in California with horrible nightmares, and um, it turned me into a vegetarian, so there was always something good that happens out of that. But it it's really <laughs> is traumatic. No, it is. It was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty, it was rough, but probably nothing compared to what these uh, veterans went through. So they went in, and they were able to replace the, the nightmares, and what kind of dreams did they start having then? I mean, you know, we could go on one nightmare, you know, slave, you know, being out in the war fields, and the next nightmare picking up daisies in another field. I mean, yeah. were they that, you know, opposite? Well, I would say that um, the important thing to think about is what they did in the nightmares. So you might think, oh, well, if a monster comes in a nightmare, then you're going to, you know, slay them which is the opposite of what they were encouraged to do, which was to, you know, basically transform this trauma. So begin by embracing the trauma and, and not pushing away, but coming to it. So I want, I, that's kind of the general idea, but the way that it was individualized was very, very, um, you know, varied. There was a lot of different ways of approaching it. So because uh, again, there were non-veterans in the group as well. So a lot of the approach was, was, you know, focused on where is the trauma coming from and recognizing that these elements in the dream were, were kind of symbolic. So 
the dreams would be sometimes when they you know when they would wake up in the dream they'd have a their their dream plan some of them would their plans would be things like i want to um meet my inner child you know i want to embrace my inner child and so this was kind of getting at the root of what was driving the nightmares uh, so you know all kinds of you know fantastical iterations of that like one person just you know saw a, a, a glowing lozenger like a medic medicine coming to them for them to take so all kinds of uh, strange things but to answer your question i think that what you know that what i've uh seen reported from these folks is that it's just you know the these nightmares just stopped so it's not that they changed into something else it's just that they 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 disappeared once kind of this this healing episode happened do you think it has something to do with uh, the sort of connectedness of a of a group like that number one and number two each other supporting each other spiritually and holding hands you know metaphorically and then all of them embarking on this this inducing lucid dreaming type of thing i mean i think that's that's kind of i think it's all the elements that probably combined really help to them change their their dreaming habits i still would be curious I, to know absolutely. what what the what the bad dream was versus what they can able to dream about now you know well let me just let me just comment on that and say that i agree and i do think that the group effect was was an important part of it and one one little bit of evidence supporting that is that the number of people that achieved lucidity during this during this work the, during this week was was very very surprising. So we had 76% of the dreamers achieve their achieve lucid dreaming. So I think I mentioned in the beginning when we were setting up the study, I was worried that we wouldn't get anybody. Yeah, 49 is significant. It's it's just right. hats off to you for that. Right. So I think that part of why that was so successful was the group coherence. They're all there for the same purpose. In a sense, they're all in the same boot, that same boat. And they they really did feel a camaraderie. It was kind of like we're going on this journey together. So I think it helped improve the, the rate of achieving lucidity. And I help. I think it helped improve in the healing, as you say. Um, but in terms of the changing of the dreams, it's 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 I think that subsequent dreams seemed to, as far as I saw, weren't related to the nightmares. It's just the nightmares stopped. And that's what that's what the the big goal was, is to have the nightmares stop. And going through this process, was, was they, they were able to do that. Was there anybody significant as far as what they were doing in their careers in that? Or were these people unable to work? Or were they working? Um, there was, yeah, quite a range of... Um, impairment of um, you know daily activities or, or happiness with with personal life and work um, but I, you know one of one of the measures we we just took stock of how much trauma they had experienced in their lifetime coming to us right there's a measure of basically lifetime trauma and you know, they were off the scales. I mean, there's no question that they had had more than their fair share of of trauma in their life. I mean, some of the measures, you know, like if you've been, you know, witnessed 
just horrendous things. And you know, we got like it, it was it was shocking to me how much trauma these these folks had experienced in their lifetime. Hmm. So, what do you suggest to people in general, whether they're dealing with their own trauma, PTSD? Uh, or just average, ordinary people that really want to tap into the healing powers of lucid dreaming. What's a couple of tips to prepare us mentally, emotionally, when we go to bed at night, other than trying to find our hand? That would just be really hard yeah. for me to do. It would probably scare me. If I was sitting there saying, oh, my God, that's my hand, I would I would probably jump out of my sleep, you know? Is there something else? Is <laughs> well, there something no. else? <laughs> no, not at all. Well, I'll, I'll let me just answer, uh, start by saying the first thing would be, to to hear and understand that this is a extremely safe practice because what you're doing is just becoming remembering your this aspect of your subconscious and Carl Jung said and I believe that this is a very safe space because your subconscious it's it's on your side right you it is there to support you it's a it's a dutiful important part of your your psyche and its goal is to preserve you keep you safe so nothing will come to you that you're not ready for so charlie told a story about um a lucid dreamer had had a plan to go into the dream and um the goal was to face uh, I can't remember what the, the actual ask was of this dream, this plan was either to face my fear or to have some specific ask. And so then in the dream, uh, a cocktail waitress came over with a tray and held it out to the dreamer. And there was a card on it that said, you're not ready yet. Hmm. And, and that was it. So it's believed, again, starting back with Carl Jung, that it's safe. You're not going to be given anything that you're not ready for. So I think that's an important thing to start with because that kind of sets your mind in the space where, okay, even though healing might be kind of challenging, this is a place where it's safe to do that. And um, many people believe that it's even safer than uh, waking therapy in a sense because sometimes when you kind of Re, relive traumatic events, it can be very um, triggering. And if you don't have the right state of mind or the right feeling of comfort and, and safety, it can be a little bit um, disturbing. But so that the, the point I want to make is that this the space of being in your in your dream is a very safe space to do it. And then um, the next thing I would say is that. Um, you know, you kind of let let the healing happen as it as it will. Be open to what what um, what comes to you, and and try to embrace it. Um, you know, there's that family, and I think they were out in California or somewhere that was like those 13 kids that were kept in the bunkers downstairs and all of that. And that those young kids and a couple of them were like teenagers at the time they finally got set free. So they had all that trauma, all that PTSD. So what does like a young woman at 13 or 14 having that childhood abuse and trauma and they want, they go to their therapist, maybe they don't go. How do they get rid of 
having that? I mean, do they go in and say, you know, do they talk to the higher self and ask for a specific dream? Do they say, I can only, you know, I want to see myself, you know, having my parents arrested or what is it? How right, do they right. go in there and sort of outdo that? Because that's, that's pretty traumatic too. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that that's such a complex and deep trauma and it would be outside of the ability of, of them, the individual at a particular stage to know what the, the remedy is. And so I would use a technique that Charlie offered to some of the folks in our study, which was just go in and ask for what you need. You can literally ask the dream, which is asking your subconscious, what do I need? What can I have? You know, please bring to me what I need to heal. You can just have that intention of I want to heal and bring me whatever I need. So you don't need to know. So, you know, it's the opposite of I want to see, you know, the justice and yeah, right. the rest of that. That would be the opposite. This is just like the what do you really want? I want to be healed. Bring to me what I need. What do I need to heal? Um, and similarly for, for folks that aren't really all about healing, they just want to expand their consciousness or develop as a person. You can ask, tell me what I need to know. What is most useful for me to know right now? What would I, what, what can benefit me right now? So, you know, it doesn't have to be about healing. It can just be about development. And so, but the same concept underlies it is you just ask for what you need and trust that what comes to you will be helpful because it's coming from inside you. Right. That goes back to the, you know, the ancient Grecians using their, their temple to help heal, heal people through their dreams and that. Well, let's go back to these 49 students call them students that came in for this dream thing how are they all doing today because this i imagine was probably what you know six months a year ago when you took this study yeah um i don't have contact with them anymore but they did create a i think it's called a facebook group sure they they wanted to stay in touch after after this after you know we were done um so that's that's unique i've never had that happen with with people in a study before that wanted to, you know, keep in contact and, and uh, maintain their coherence. So where do you go from here? Are you planning more studies with maybe people with just some other, maybe childhood trauma and try to help them through lucid dreaming? Or are you going to write another book about it and so on? <laughs> yeah, well, we got a lot of stuff planned. I mean, so one thing, one exploratory thing we did in the study was have a, a, four of the participants that lived close to the lab collect saliva samples throughout the morning each day. So this was an attempt to see if it was feasible to measure salivary biomarker changes. So a physiological biomarker change from saliva associated with lucid dreaming and healing lucid dreaming. So that had never been tried before. So we just wanted to give it a little try with four of the dreamers and two of them had a loose healing lucid dream and two of them didn't. So it was, it was nice to be able to have uh, little controls, two two dreamers and two non-dreamers, and that data came out quite positive. And basically, this this marker, this biomarker in the saliva, which is called salivary alpha amylase, it's just an enzyme that's been correlated with stress through for other studies. Um, the pattern that we saw with the lucid dreamers was indicative of stress relief. So it was a very it's just you know, two people compared to two controls. So we can't claim anything other than it's a very provocative 
it shows that it's very possible that we could measure this, okay, this salivary um, biomarker or these physiological biomarkers associated with the healing lucid dreams. So it's very, very exciting, and we want to follow that up, um, partially because it's helpful for some people in the medical field or whatever belief system they have to get past the, oh, it's just some woo-woo thing, you know, it's not going to really have any actual effect on the body, it's just your imagination, which we could have a whole other conversation about how silly that is to say. Yeah. Um, but the fact, if for some people, if you got a physiological biomarker, it's like, okay, this is real, you know, so I think that might open up the possibility for more and more healing because of just the understanding, the acceptance of it. So the biomarker is something we really want to follow up. We're also going to do um, a dream telepathy experiment. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. I like that. You know, Gary Zukoff used to do the um, do that with, like, his sister who lived across country or whatever. And, and then yeah. you, through the dream, you go and you pinch the arm of, of somebody you know. And, of course, it's all planned in advance. I'm going to come to you, Sally, in the middle of the night and pinch your arm. And the next day, <laughs> his sister would wake up and say, oh, my God, I actually have a bruise on my arm. You know, so that kind of thing. Tell me well, your story. about physiological biomarkers. That... <laughs> True story. You know. That is really cool. I want to talk to those people. Um that we'd have to the ethics committee might give me a little bit of trouble but um it'd be worth a try <laughs> to try to reproduce that yeah so, you know, so how what do you what are your plans on the on the dreaming and the telepathy type of experience what are you looking to do well you may know that um that dean radin who is one of our he's our yeah. chief scientist here um has decades of uh experience doing psychic testing for people you know and he's got <laughs> stuff online it's really fun um, so basically, you know, as we spoke about earlier, where lucid dreaming is a kind of a more immersive form of mental imagery and mental imagery we know can improve performance um, across the, you know, all kinds of different um, human capacities. So basically, we're going to take Dean's old style of testing um, the ability to have telepathy and combine it with the boosted power of the lucid dream. And when I mentioned this to, to Charlie Morley, our instructor, who is authorized to teach within the Tibetan um, lineage, he says, oh, yeah, the Tibetans say that you've got seven times the mind power in the lucid dream. So the telepathy score should go up seven times. Like, yeah. Okay, great. Now <laughs> we've got our hypothesis. So that's the kind of thing we're going to get up to. I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, yeah. Well, keep me posted on that. That is exciting. It's very exciting. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, Garrett. And is there any closing thing that you want to say or encourage people to go to your website to learn more about this pilot study with PTSD and lucid dreaming? Um, I would, yeah, our website is noetic.org. So that's N-O-E-T-I-C.org. And they can find out about this study. They can find out about all the other fun stuff we're doing. Uh, as you mentioned, the channeling research. And there's also a participate in research, research tab where you can go on and see a menu of ongoing studies right now that are recruiting people um, to participate. So like example, right now we're doing a telephone telepathy experiment and that's testing 
the age old idea. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, the can know. and the string kind of stuff. You know? Yeah, it's like <laughs> oh, I, you, the telephone rings and I I know who it is. And you think, oh yeah. Is? yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a story. It happened to me. I was telling a friend of mine the other day about it because this stuff really works. I mean, you have to be. I don't know if you have to have a completely, you know, blank brain. I mean, your mind has to be clear. But one afternoon, I had just moved to Atlanta from California, and I was in this apartment, and I, was, I wanted to communicate with a friend of mine. Um, and so I went into the, my bathroom. I had the lights out. I sat on a, on a stool there. Yeah. And that's before I think the cell phones are really, you know, as, as easy as they were, um, what we have right now. So I remember sitting there in a dark room, and I closed my eyes, and I visually saw me holding up the handset and pressing uh-huh. the numbers to her phone. And as wow. soon as I hit the last number, she called me. <laughs> Is that wild or what? That's fantastic. I love that. I've never been able to do it since, but that was the uh, the one time. And we were always somewhat, I think it does help if you are in tune with each other. So she was pretty um, in tune. You know, it goes back to that. Um, Albert Einstein radio tower and frequency waves and that yeah. type of thing. So she was kind of in tune, but it it was a really you know fun experiment. That's great, and that aspect of it is is actually being tested in the study. So when you if you're going to be in the telephone telepathy experiment, you sign up with two people, and they can be very close to you or not. And and ideally you've got one that is and one that isn't. And we we're going to test whether that the amount of connection actually influences the the success of it. Very good. Lots of fun. All right, Garrett. You have a great day. We'll talk soon. You too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in today, and I hope you learned a little bit about lucid dreaming and the possible benefits of being able to treat PTSD or other types of emotional trauma. Check out Garrett Yu on the Institute of Noetic Sciences and review his awesome work. Also, if you're up for it, you might want to sign up for one of their trials that they're having Uh, on there as well. In the meantime, if you're looking to raise your own visibility, expand your brand, gain recognition, who isn't, check out studiocarlton.com. We are developers, voice designers, producers of Amazon Alexa skills. We can do great things with you as a professional or even as a personal side. You want to add a little uh, bling to your LinkedIn profile? Check out our audio icons, which we can help you develop An Alexa skill is all about you answering questions by users in your own audio recorded voice. I've just done one for Victoria Speaking. It's not quite up just yet, but that's an idea. So if you put it on your LinkedIn page and you're looking for a job or you want to promote yourself, people can enable the Alexa skill on their smartphone app or an Amazon Alexa device and ask you questions about your favorite foods, your career, your strengths, what you're looking for, and all that type of thing. It's pretty exciting. On the other hand, if you've got a company with products and services, we can do big things on a voice platform like Amazon Alexa. That's studiocarlton.com. The Intuitive Edge is produced by Wested Media Group and a team of, and a team of audio producers. Enjoy the day.